is with the Lord's gracious help that we, uh, we intend and hope to look at the first three verses of John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verses 1 to 3. We'll read those together once again. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Amen. Let us briefly call upon the Lord as we come to the time of preaching. O merciful God, in the name of thy Son we approach thee and give thee thanks for thy precious word, this true, holy, infallible, inerrant word of God that we have. Lord, we give thee thanks uh, for this. And Lord, we thank thee also for the translation that we have. And Lord, not, nothing has been removed or added. We have all the words of Christ. We have the whole counsel of God, and we thank Thee for it. And we pray, Lord, that it may please Thee to bless Thy word to us as it is now opened up and preached. Lord, that we may all understand, and even though we may hear things again that we know before, Lord, that we may receive it once again, that we may have those truths once again imparted to us, Lord, that it may become a part of us. We pray for those outside of Christ this evening, for whom this word has not entered in and has not brought forth the fruit of repentance. Lord, thou bless the going forth of thy word uh, unto salvation. Give thou blessing, we pray. Show thy mercy to sinners as the gospel goes forth, and grant unto me all that I need, O Lord, and I need much from Thee. That Thy word may go forth with power, the power of the Holy Ghost, that God will receive and shall receive all of the glory. And so grant it, bless us, and have mercy upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this evening we come to uh, John chapter 14, and where does John chapter 14 uh, find itself? But it is one of those chapters uh, that is part of the, the Last Supper. And in other accounts we have a, a brief mention of, of the Lord, and, and as He takes the Passover and, 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 and turns it, or changes it into the memorial supper of the, the Lord's Supper. But here in John, we have much more detail that has been granted to us. It was granted to John and has been granted to us. So many words that the Lord spoke, short sermons, words of rebuke, words of comfort. And so in John chapter 14, we're still in the upper room. 
We're in the upper room, and we witness of those who are in the upper room with the Lord and the Lord himself. And in speaking to those who are present, the Lord preaches the gospel to them. And you might think that's a remarkable thing to do, seeing as he's surrounded by 11 faithful disciples. And we know that there are two adherents there also. And no doubt the the ladies that looked after him may have been there as well. But certainly, 11 disciples who knew the gospel have been saved by the gospel, and yet he preaches it to them to, to comfort them. To comfort them in the sense not just... Uh, to give them uh, encouragement, but also to strengthen them. To strengthen them, to prepare them for what will yet come. He knows what is coming. He knows what he has to face, but he knows what they will have to face. And he knows that they will, they will flee from him. He knows those that, will, that, that, that one, the man of perdition, that will betray him, but he also knows of Peter and what Peter will do. And around that whole weekend that they needed that comfort and that confirmation. And that's what we read in those verses this evening. And it begins that, that, that new uh, set of teaching, this new preaching to those disciples, but let not your heart be troubled. And he says that for a reason. Their hearts are troubled. Their hearts are anxious. Their hearts are filled with concern. As they sit with the Lord, and maybe understanding a little of what's going on, but we know that they understood very, very hardly, even though the Lord had to tell them a number of times, And so as this word goes forth, he says to them, let not your heart be troubled. That is what should go forth first when we consider these words this evening, that let not your heart be troubled. And in a gospel fashion, let not your heart be troubled, because here is the Savior for you, the Savior for your soul, the Redeemer for you. But also... For the anxious believer that has things before him or her, let not your heart be troubled, whatever it may be. And so it may please the Lord to to bless his word. As we hear a word to calm the anxious soul, and this evening with the Lord's gracious help, a word to calm the anxious soul. And firstly, let us consider, be not troubled by faith. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And and that word, that first phrase, let not your heart be troubled, is a word of comfort that we hear from the Lord's mouth. A comfort, yes, but it is also a command. He says, let not your heart be troubled. As if we have some ability to control that, and maybe we have more of ability than we think so, when we cast our cares upon the Lord. Quite often it is the case uh, that we will hold on to troubles and complaints and, 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 and sorrows and worries and won't cast them upon Him. But He says, 
Let not your heart be troubled. And what does he link it in with? With himself. You believe in God, believe also in me. So in that faith in Jesus Christ, in that trusting in him, you can cast your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Let not your heart be confused. Let it not be disturbed. That, that, that word here, let not your heart be troubled, means that stirring up, that restlessness of the heart, like, a, um, like, like, like the troubled waters in a river. As the waters rush quickly and they, they pick up the sand and the silt from the, from, from the riverbed and they, they become troubled. It looks brown and dirty. It doesn't look... And yet when it comes around the bend and maybe the, the river widens and, it, and it, it becomes slower, then what happens is, is the trouble descends. The grit and the sand, it all, it, it settles out. And there is peace, there is clarity, there is clean, fresh water. And the Lord says that the human heart is like this. It holds on to the problems, it holds on to the concerns and the anxieties, and it becomes troubled. But the Lord says, as a command, let not your heart be troubled. It's a command. And so not to be troubled about what? Well, the Lord opens up the first verse here. It's not to be troubled about faith in Him. So this word of comfort is followed on by a word of confession because He makes it very clear. Ye believe in God. You have a faith in God. And he's speaking, of course, to these, these Jewish disciples. Of course they believe there is one true and living God. That is, the, that is what they were taught in the Scriptures. That, that, that's what they were taught in the synagogue. That's what Moses reveals. And Moses said, the great Shema Yisrael, the, the great confession of the Jew, that even Orthodox Jews these days still... Um, Recite from Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And what, what the Lord would say when he says you believe in God, and no doubt they would be reminded of these aspects, is that doesn't just teach us Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, that there is only one God. It says, the Lord our God is one. Lord, literally, Jehovah our God, Jehovah is one. He's speaking of the unity of Jehovah. There is one God, but there is in the Godhead. There's more than one person. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Three persons. You believe in God, believe also in me. Isaiah 48 and verse 16 is a very strong revelation of the triune uh, Godhead in the Old Testament. Isaiah 48 and verse 16, Come ye near unto me, hear ye this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God and His Spirit hath sent me. So we hear Jehovah Jesus, the Son, speaking, and he refers to his Father as Jehovah God, and he speaks of the Spirit of Jehovah as filling him and sending him. Three divine persons, but one God. 
And doubtless you too believe in God, you believe yet there is only one God and you should. It is the duty of every creature uh, to love, to obey, to acknowledge the Creator. It's the most basic of things, and when that does not happen, uh, we see great calamity in the world. We see, see the idolatry, we see the immorality, uh, we see the, the, the chaos that, that reigns, and we see that in society now, and that's what Romans 1 tells us. Denying the Creator, the true Creator, Jehovah Himself, leading to a great catastrophe and a great blight on societies. The darkness of idolatry and the wickedness of immorality. And belief in God itself is a natural, a natural thing. It is a natural instinct. That's how, that's how Calvin opens up the, the Institutes, his, his systematic theology that he wrote about. And he began with the fact that it is a natural instinct, and you see it all over the world, uh, for man to believe in God. Of course, his, his understanding is darkened by sin, and so we see then the, the formation of, of, of pagan religions, having moved away from the truth that they had in the very beginning. And even after the fall, and after the flood, the Lord, as it were, resets the clock. They know the family, the family of Adam, after the fall, knew the truth. But we see how quickly Cain moved away from blood sacrifice from the way of worshipping God that was made clear to them. And even after the flood, and we see Noah and his, and his three sons and their wives, and as it were, they're sort of restarting the earth. But we, we see how quickly, how quickly man is corrupted and darkened. But it is a natural instinct still. And where did Calvin get that truth from? Well, from Romans 1 and verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So theism, the, the believing in a God, the, the acknowledgement, that's not enough, of course. It must be the one true and living God. But that natural instinct that there must be a God. You hear from people's lips, although they know nothing about Jehovah, they know nothing about the Scriptures. And therefore, atheism is a very unnatural thing. It's a very unnatural thing that people would choose for, as it is with all unnatural matters in mankind. It is a choice. And it is a wicked choice. So atheism is un un unnatural. That's true. But theism itself, as I said, is not enough. It's not enough just to have a belief in a deity, in a God. That's what Christ says here. A mere acknowledgement that there is a God, that, that, that God exists, is not enough. You are also to believe in Him. You are to believe in the Savior that God has sent. You are to believe in the Messiah, the, 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 the promised prophet, the Redeemer Himself. You're to Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe in God, believe also in me. And that's an equality in what he says. You believe in God, believe also in me. You have to believe in me that you have a true belief in God. What does the Lord then go on to say in verse 6? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So to have a true knowledge of God and a true relationship toward God, you must have Jesus Christ. And if you do not have him, your acknowledgement that there is a God will do you no good. So let not your heart be troubled when it is this case that you believe in God and you believe also in Jesus Christ. But also in what he's saying is, you can believe in God. You can believe in God. You can believe that there is a God and and as much as your understanding of God is based upon the truth of this word, then there is a belief in the true God. But he's saying you can also believe in me. Believe in God, believe also in me, and the Lord does not make it any more complicated than it needs to be. And so do you believe in God? And you may say, yes, I believe everybody here in this, in this uh, church this evening would say, yes, we believe in God. And then I would say, but do you believe in Jesus Christ? And then we might get a difference. And he doesn't say, believe that I exist or believe that I say that I, who I am is true. He's saying believe in, believe on, have faith in, entrust yourself to, believe also in me. What is this faith? What is this trust? Just very briefly to make that very clear. Now we know that faith is a divine gift. It's a gift that's, that's given from God. Ephesians 2 and verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You, you can't work it up. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. It is a gift to be received freely at no cost. And God is the giver of that gift. And so if God is the giver of that gift and you notice in yourself that you lack that gift, where do you need to go to for that gift? You need to go to the Lord. And confessing, I, I see no faith in me. I think I have no faith in me. And you call upon him for faith. For that's what the Lord says, let not your heart be troubled. Lord, I no longer want a troubled heart. Did you believe in God? Most certainly I believe in God. And maybe I'm terrified at the thought of, of meeting God still in my sin. And I want this Lord Jesus. But he says you believe in God, therefore you can believe in Jesus. And so missing that gift, call upon the Lord. As did the father of the deaf and dumb child. A deaf and dumb child in Mark 9 and verse 24. And we read of what he says to the Lord Jesus Christ. I thought maybe it's very good just to turn very briefly to Mark 9. And verse 20, And they brought him unto him, and when, they, when he saw him, straightway the Spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he, that is Christ, asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oft, and oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, 
All things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried, and rent him sore, and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. The father doubted himself. The father was unsure if he had that faith, that faith to believe on Christ, to have that faith that Christ would be able to heal his son who, sin, who from childhood had been so abused by this wicked spirit. And his prayer is this, no umming and ahhing, no theological discussion in his head, the Lord said, and he did. In this sense... The Lord said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And he saw that lack within himself. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. It is a, a divine gift. And therefore we must go to God for it. But it's also commanded. Faith is also commanded. And Paul and Silas said to the Philippian jailer, in Acts 16 and 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Again, there's a command that goes forth. And obeying this command, and we could even apply this to what we've just considered about that, the father of, of that child, is exercising commanded faith. Obeying the command, in that case, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Doing what the Lord says is an exercise of commanded faith. It's a command. And we're not to be cynical about this. We're not to be hyper-spiritual about this. You have this evening come under the means of grace. The chosen way that the Lord would have you hear the gospel. Have it preached to you. And the command that goes forth every time that the word is open to believe on the Lord. In other words, do no longer mistrust what God says. Do not, do not doubt him. Do not put a huge question mark over his promises and over his word and everything that he says. But believe that he is the speaker of the truth. And then these very broad and very open, glorious gospel commands go out. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Else you're believing on yourself. You're believing on faulty human reasoning. You're, 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 you're believing on something else other than Christ and Him revealed in the Scriptures and the words and promises and the warnings that He makes. So trust Christ and stop trusting man. You believe in God. Believe also in me, the Lord says. And because it is commanded, therefore faith is a duty, thirdly. Faith is a duty. Man is responsible to believe and therefore also responsible for his unbelief. 
John 3 and verse 36, the last verse of, of John 3 is a, is a very strong and poignant verse in saying those two points to us. The man is responsible for his belief and he's responsible for his unbelief. And John 3 and verse 36 says this, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it is either belief or unbelief, and unbelief is a wicked sin. Unbelief is a wicked sin. And therefore punishable by God. Because God alone is worthy of being trusted. Uh, God only uh, will speak the truth. That's one of the three, the three epithets that the Lord uses about himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The very definition of the truth. He only ever speaks truth. But sin causes us not to trust him. Sin causes us to doubt him. Sinfulness says no. The promise is there, but I will not obey it. That's unbelief. It's unbelief. And that's why repentance of sin is always understood, if not it's explicitly said, but it is part of the call to faith. Repentance is an act of faith, and true faith repents of sin. I do it because the Lord tells me to. I find that I lack that strength, so I will go to Him, as that Father did, and, and pray for that help, but still do it, because He has said so. So it is a duty. And faith itself, it's founded on the Scriptures, what the Scriptures say. And so this is the bedrock of our faith, not my feelings, not what someone else has said. And if they've said anything that contradicts the Word of God, then, then I can disbelieve that and just hold on to the Scriptures of truth. This is what Paul says to the Hebrews in Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the hopes, the promises, the Lord. And the evidence of things not seen. So many things are yet to be fulfilled. Christ himself not seen with these eyes, but seen with the eyes of the soul. So the substance and the evidence of the promises of God revealed to us in the Scriptures, and, and this is what we stand on. We believe what the Lord says. It is not an emotion, it is not an experience, but it has experiences and it has emotions. And I would say this, faith is a, is a choice of will to hope and trust in God. But it is sin that gets in the way. It always has. It's sin that says, I won't believe. It's sin that says, I can't believe. And that's why the first thing that needs to be cleared out the way is sin. It says, I can't believe. Have you repented? Have you come with a godly sorrow to God, repenting of sin? Say, God, deal with my sin. And the only way to deal with my sin is is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And faith is fully 
and truly said when we considered it the scriptures it is it is in in its fullness trusting in and believing in a divine person that is Jesus Christ so it's not in a set of theological standards it's not in a set of of emotions it's it's it is not in a, in being part of a of a group or a body of believers it, it's trusting in the person of Jesus Christ and when we trust in the person we're trusting in his work his work of salvation he who is the truth and therefore never lies and his promises go forth and his commands go forth and and his words of comfort go forth let not your heart be troubled he is not a liar he is not setting you up for a fall he's not saying come unto me but and then you come and then he says no trust him when he says let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me and as we move now on to our, our second point and then the second verse notice with me what the Lord says and puts there having said let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me and having said that what does he what does he then say that you have to do or you have to experience or anything else no once there's belief in him then there's these great promises of a home in heaven he puts nothing in between does he demand works of righteousness does he demand a cleaned up life does he demand religious rituals or first this and then that not nothing you believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions so if you laid hold on Jesus Christ what does he then say he says there's a home for you in heaven there's room for you in heaven which is the name of the second point be not troubled there is room for you in heaven in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would not have told you I go to prepare a place for you for you who is the you the you is those he, he's just spoken to and said not not your heart be troubled is your heart troubled and you believe in God Jesus says believe also in me I go to prepare a place for you all that believe in God all that believe on the Son of God will have a home in heaven because they will become the children of God the Father in heaven has uh, th this great house that we see and there are many mansions many many dwelling places and he makes it clear that he goes to prepare a place for those that believe on him he's he's providing for their eternal needs he's providing for your eternal needs uh, saint believer Christian He's provided himself as the Savior in verse 1, and he, he's providing himself as the, the, the eternal sustainer in verse 2. And it's a glorious truth. There is much room. There is much room. We can maybe be confused when the, when the Lord speaks to the little group of disciples and he calls them little flock. And he says to them, little flock, that's true. That is a little flock he's speaking to. And yet we know 
From what we read in Revelation, there, there is a, a multitude a, a, that no man can number of all these little flocks or bigger flocks or that will be gathered in from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And so there is plenty of room. Revelation 7 and verse 9, After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number. It's impossible for a human being to number them. He'd lose count. Just too much. But there's room for them all to live together with the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Father's house. Is this true? Is this true for those that would believe, who would dare to believe on Jesus Christ? Yes, he says, for if it were not so, I would have told you. So he who can never speak a lie, he who can never make a false promise, says, if it were not so, I would have told you. He's not promising eternal life and getting you to walk upon the, as it were, upon the carpet to approach the throne of grace and then pulling the, the rug out from beneath you. That is not the God of the Scriptures. But what he wants you to know is how well placed your love and your faith and your trust in him is. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house in heaven are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. So this is what we receive then. We understand if we lay hold on Christ, that he lays hold upon us and will bring us to heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. So we're not to be troubled by faith or our lack of it. We're not to be troubled because there is room in heaven for those that will lay hold upon Christ. And finally, we're not to be troubled because he says, I will come back and take you there. I go to prepare a place for you, that eternal dwelling. He's going there. He's going to make that place. But then in verse 3, he says, but I'm coming back for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. And so he reveals his plans then that he's, that he's going, and he's going to prepare, and he's coming back. And that promise that goes forth is interesting because the chapter takes place af just after the Last Supper. They're still in the upper room. And who has already departed? Judas Iscariot. And Christ reveals what he's about to do. I go. And I go, well, what is he going to do? I go and prepare a place for you. But in that going, what does that include? It's not just the ascension up into heaven. It's the walking to the cross. I go. And he is preparing a place, uh, not just, as I mentioned, not just once he's ascended into heaven, but by that suffering and the work on the cross, even in his death and his rising again from the death, all of that is the, is the work upon which he can prepare a place for you. Because it's only through that blood and through that death that you could even enter into heaven.
I go, and if I go and prepare a place for you, if you've believed on me, if you've laid hold on Jesus Christ, he says, I'm going, I'm preparing a place for you, and I'm coming back for you. And if I go, I will come back. Has he gone? Yes, he has. He will come back. He will come back. And so Christ is revealing something of his plans. He's not putting in the details, but he's, he's making it very clear that I am going, I am preparing a place, and I will come back, and I will receive you unto myself. Who? Those whom he commands in the very first uh, verse, not to let their hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. As I said, the, the, the very idea that you wouldn't believe in God is, is unnatural. He says, therefore, believe in me. So he reveals his plans and he makes that wonderful promise to come back for all that will obey him, who will believe on him. It is certain that Christ ascended into heaven. It is also certain that he will come again. We have eyewitnesses to the first. We have it recorded in the scriptures of truth. And therefore he will come. As we looked at briefly this morning, as they were looking, as he was ascending up into heaven, there were two men who were clothed in white raiment, and they said, he will likewise, in like manner, come down again. He will return. And this promise that we have here, that there is a place for all those that believe on Jesus Christ, Christ begins to fulfill that wonderful promise at your death. And we think of death as a scary thing. Death is a, is a thing that we fear, and that's true. It is the last enemy, as the Scriptures call it. But Christ begins to fulfill that promise at the body's death because the soul of believers is taken up to glory, is, is taken up to these mansions in the sky, is taken up to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, for that's where the Lord Jesus Christ is. And he completes the promise when? At the resurrection of the body. Again, there's something we, no we noticed this morning. When the Lord returns in glory to judge the living and the dead and the great resurrection has taken place, then there is to be that eternity of sweet and loving fellowship in the body, in this, in this glorified body that we would have with the Lord, with, with eyes that could see Him. Believer, how much do you yearn and desire to have a, an actual glimpse of Jesus Christ? Even to lay hold of His garment, to fall before His feet, to touch him and that will be fulfilled that will be so richly fulfilled because he will come back for his own that where I am there ye may be also and that is, the, that is the great desire of the bride to be with the bridegroom. It's the great desire of the head of the church to be with his church. It's the great desire of the Redeemer to be with the redeemed. Be not troubled, believer. The Lord has it all planned. He has it all worked out. And he is coming back for you to take you back with him. But troubled unbeliever, be not troubled about faith. You believe in God. Believe also in Jesus Christ. And believe also the promise that he says that if you believe on him, he will come back 
for you by faith. Because it is faith that joins us to Jesus Christ. And so therefore, as the Lord himself says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in Jesus Christ. Let not that heart be troubled anymore. The Lord has said so. And therefore it is so that we would set aside that troubled heart that you may have because of your sin. You know your unbelief and you know your sinfulness. And so will you close in with Christ, even this evening? So what does that mean? Call upon him. Do what that father did so that you will be enabled to obey the command to believe not just in God, but believe also in Jesus Christ. That there will be a place for you in heaven. And at his return, he will come in glory to judge the living and the dead and to take you with him. That where he is, ye may be also. May God bless his word to your eternal joy this evening. Do not leave this word hanging. Do not let this word just remain in the pew. You've heard the clear word of Jesus Christ. Be not sinfully disobedient, but obey. I haven't got it in me, you say. Then go to the Lord for that divine gift of faith. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank thee for thy precious word. We thank thee for these glorious gospel promises. We thank thee, Lord, for these great hopes that the believer has. The Lord Jesus has not forgotten us, but he's gone to prepare a place for us, and he will come back. Lord, and we say with the church in Revelation, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. And until thou comest, we pray that many more would be saved and brought into the kingdom of Christ. Lord, even this evening, So, Lord, have mercy. Hear our prayers. Save souls. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Take up your hymn book, please, to hymn 182. Hymn 182. To him that loved the souls of men and washed us in his blood. We'll stand to sing the four verses. Hymn 182, please.
receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Thank you.